0: Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So I want to show you something strange today. I have here a little container And inside this container, which I ordered from a place called Hoxton Street Monster Supply out of Great Britain, in this container, I have salt made from human tears. Now, I know you're going to be skeptical about this for just a moment, so would you just suspend your skepticism and let's just assume this is what it's advertised to be. So from Hoxton Street Supplies, you can order salt made from human tears, but of of five different varieties. So you can have salt made from tears of laughter or tears of boredom or tears of envy or tears of anger, but I ordered a container of tears of sorrow, salt made from human tears of sorrow. Listen to this description. This delectable salt ew, made from the tears of abject sorrow is collected only at moments of complete misery." and it's blended with delicate lavender flavor. Here's a container made from salt that comes from human tears of sorrow. So I've been a pastor for about 25 years, and so about 25 times I've had the privilege on Easter Sunday to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I found that as I look back over a quarter century, I look back, and well over half of those times, I've chosen to speak from the gospel of Luke. And this year, I stopped as I'm here in Luke 24 again. I go, you know, why? Why Luke? Why his account of the resurrection? Well, I like it because, and we'll see this here in a moment, there are two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus. You know what, I'm the kind of person I don't like to sit still. I'm real fidgety that even as I'm watching a movie, I have to be doing something or I have to pause it and I have to get up and move around. And so there's something about that that resonates between me and these two disciples that on that first Sunday, what we would call Easter Sunday, they couldn't sit still in Jerusalem, that they took a trip, they were running their errands, They, they were a little bit fidgety, right? Life is movement. I don't like to sit still. By the way, the longest traffic jam on record is on the Tibet Beijing Expressway. The traffic jam was 62 miles long and lasted for 12 days. I can't imagine anything worse. I gotta keep moving, I hate feeling stuck. So these two disciples, they they were on the road. As they travel, they meet the incognito Christ. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, comes up and walks with them and they're not fully aware of it. And I think, and again, that resonates with me because I think about how many times at the moment I didn't think Jesus was there in a difficult time, but looking back, I realized that he was there. I just couldn't recognize him at the moment. But the third reason that I keep coming back to this passage year after year is because these disciples are weeping. And we're going to hear their tears here in just a moment. are tears of sorrow that these disciples are experiencing. To quote the dread pirate Roberts, life is pain, Highness. And anyone who tells you differently is trying to sell you something. So here we have these disciples that are wrestling with what does resurrection even mean, if that's even possible? And then how does, this, how does this deal with the pain of life as we walk down this road? So I want to invite you today maybe to taste the salty tears of sorrow and to walk down this dusty road with these disciples and encounter yet again the reality of Jesus' resurrection. So Luke 24 opens with the women going to the tomb to finish the embalming process. When they're there, they don't discover a body. They see angels and the angels say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? So they run back to tell the other disciples that something has happened, perhaps Jesus is risen. And it says this at the beginning of Luke 24 that the disciples did not believe the women's words. Now I think there's two reasons that they didn't believe the women's words. One is they were women. And I'm not advocating this, I'm just saying at the time, Women's testimony was not considered to be credible. You yeah, know, we still struggle with that sometimes. Uh, in the 1990s, you might remember this, BMW recalled all of their cars in Germany, not because there was something wrong with the cars, but because the GPS system spoke in a female voice and male German drivers did not like a female voice telling them where to go. We still have holdovers. Sometimes we question things because of the source. And our own prejudice but really the reason the disciples did not believe the woman's words is they had seen Jesus die brutally I might add and there is no way that anyone could come back from such a gruesome death they just didn't believe it so feeling a little fidgety two of those disciples get up and they run their errand to Emmaus And let's read through this account, let's walk down this road, and I'm just going to walk through and and we'll stop here and discuss a few things as we go along. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. By the way, Jesus can find you whatever road you're on. Whatever road you're on today, Jesus can find you. I think Jesus was looking for these two disciples. He wasn't concerned about the destination, so they were going west to Emmaus, but even if they had gone east toward Jericho or north toward Ramah or south toward Bethlehem, Jesus wasn't worried about their destination. He was looking for these disciples. Whatever road you are on, Jesus can find you. Can I give you a quick pitch? After Easter, We're gonna start this in mid-May. I wanna do a teaching series on anxiety. Anxiety is the road most people are on today. And it's a road that we feel like we're just slogging down. We're worried about everything. We're gonna look at the seven people in the Bible who got so anxious, so stressed out, they asked for God to end their life. They said, God, just kill me now. And if God can call them back from the edge, don't you think he can call us back as well? So if you're on that anxious road, could I invite you to stay tuned to be a part of this as we start in mid-May? Jesus can find you whatever road you're on. So they were traveling seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, the words used here lead us to believe that the disciples were walking along, and Jesus at a faster clip comes up behind them, but as he comes up even, he slows his pace to walk shoulder to shoulder, to walk abreast with them. Isn't it good to know that Jesus will slow his roll? He'll be patient with us. We live in a world that is increasingly moving at faster and faster speeds. You know, the, the old stat about the, all the knowledge in the world doubles every X number of days. That interval is just getting shorter and shorter. But as the world is becoming faster, I think Jesus even walks slower. He's patient. Whatever road we're on, whatever pace we're moving, He walks along with us. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along the road. They stood still, so they kind of stop here for this moment. Their faces were downcast and one of them, Cleopas, by the way, it's believed that these two disciples walking down the road were probably husband and wife. It's probably Cleopas and his wife that were walking and they asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? who does not know these things that have happened in these days, and I imagine right here is where Cleopas's voice breaks because there are for him tears of bitterness. What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth. Now, this is where I think God has got to have a sense of humor, right? Here these two disciples are about to talk about Jesus to Jesus. They don't realize who they're talking to, and so... I think Luke is having some fun with this to kind of draw out the suspense. My predecessor, Warren Holtgren, wonderful man, wonderful pastor, was here for 35 years. He told me the story once about hosting a conference here at First Tulsa, and it was a statewide conference, and there were people in from all over the state and even the region, and there had been a bookstore set up here in the church, and so he was in leafing through the books, and somebody walked up and said, hey, have you ever met Warren Holtgren, who is the pastor of this church? And he says, well, you know, I'm, I'm acquainted with him. He's asking this of Warren Holgren. He said, well, I hear he's, he's not very nice, and I hear he's really liberal. To which Holgren said, I've heard the same thing, right? It's just kind of this moment of you don't realize that you're talking to the person that you're talking about. We get that same feel here in Luke 24. They have no idea they're talking to the resurrected Jesus about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and before people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped. Those are the most important words in this whole passage for me. But we had hoped. And I think this is here where the tears rolled down Cleopas' face because his hope had been disappointed. Maybe you followed the story a couple of years ago in 2018. There's a female orca named Tahlequah. Isn't that appropriate for those of us who live in Oklahoma? This female orca had given birth and her calf was stillborn. Now for orcas, you need to know this, that gestation, uh, an orca is pregnant for 17 months. Women. Could you imagine being pregnant for 17 months? So orcas are pregnant for 17 months. So when this baby calf was stillborn, of course, normally when an orca dies, it'll just float down to the bottom. But for 17 days, one day for every month that Tahlequah was pregnant, she kept this calf afloat. It would begin to sink. She would scoop him up and take him up to the surface. And over a 1,000 miles of ocean, she mourned. And then on that 18th day, she let her calf disappear into the darkness of the deep. But we had hoped. They hoped Jesus would be the one to bring life. But instead, he had died. And all they were left with was tears of bitterness. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. That means, by the way, that the third day, um, Jews believed that a person's spirit would hover around the body f- for three days and on the fourth day would depart. So not only were you dead, but you were… you weren't just mostly dead, you were dead, dead. We're talking a lot about Princess Bride today, aren't we? So we had hoped that He was the one, it's the third day since these took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning but didn't find His body. They came and told us that they had seen angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not see Jesus. He said, how foolish you are and slow of heart. By the way, that could be my autobiography. It probably could be yours too. Foolish and slow. That's why Jesus often has to slow his pace to walk shoulder to shoulder with us. How slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained what the scripture says concerning him. So there's a, a new sport out there, kind of a new hobby, called magnet fishing. Uh, it's where a person has you just take take a normal magnet, it's a specially designed magnet. People tie rope to it, throw it into a deep river drag it along the bottom and see what they can collect. So, not too long ago in the Rhine River in Germany, somebody found a World War II gas mask. In the Thames River, outside London, somebody found a a diamond bracelet. Uh, In the Rappahannock River in Virginia, somebody recently discovered an old Civil War cannonball with magnet fishing. I think there's a river in Arkansas, somebody pulled out a trailer house. I don't know, it seems kind of weird, it's Arkansas, right? But you, you throw this magnet down and, and it just kind of attracts these, these old treasures and it, it drags them up. And what Jesus does is he throws himself into the Older Testament and all the scriptures concerning him are kind of drawn and he, he drags all these up and says, didn't you connect the dots that God has been about something for a long, long time? And here's the gospel. The gospel is all the way back in Genesis, humanity walked away from God and God set about to put that relationship back together. From Abraham, from one man he created an entire nation and from this nation he brought one man, Jesus Christ, to be the savior of all and the gospel is the good news that Jesus was crucified according to the scripture, that he was buried on the third day he rose again and he appeared, says 1 Corinthians 15. So he explained what all the Scripture says concerning himself. As they approached the village where they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. I find this interesting that Jesus will slow down and he'll walk with us at our pace. And Jesus will find us whatever road we're on, but Jesus will not force himself off on any of us. He will find us, but he won't force himself off. Jesus acts as though he's willing to keep on going. So while Jesus takes the initiative to find these disciples, he waits for their invitation to invite him in. Doesn't that speak to us? Jesus will find you, but he won't force himself on you. He'll initiate a relationship, but he will always wait for you to invite him in. So when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and they said, it is true. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. So what happens is the tears of sorrow are replaced by tears of joy because they see Jesus not as someone to reminisce about, they see Him as a presence. They see Him as a person, a living person and not just a memory. So what does all this mean for us sitting here in 2022? It means a couple of things. That what God has done to restore our relationship with Him through Jesus Christ means that our eternity has changed and because of that we may have joy. There's a great story. If you go to this small little cemetery in Georgia, you're gonna find what is predominantly a black cemetery and right in the middle, a white man, an affluent white man is buried there. The story among locals is that this man, when he was a boy, his mother died and his father never remarried, but the father hired a nanny, a black woman by the name of Mandy. And she took care of this young boy and she became that mother figure to him. And one of his best memories from childhood is every morning Mandy would wake him up and say, rise up child, God's morning has come. Every morning, rise up child, God's morning has come. Even when he went away to school and came back, he loved that, rise up child, God's morning has come. Every morning. When Mandy died, that boy, now a man, attended her funeral and he made sure to buy the plot right next to hers because he said, when resurrection day comes and I come up out of the ground and she does as well, I want to hear her voice say, rise up child, God's morning has come. Eternity has been changed. But even more than that, the bitter tears of life have been, recha- have been changed, transformed by the possibility of joy. There's an old spiritual classic, the reference isn't important, but the writer talks about how Jesus is joy for all of us, that for the artist Jesus is the one altogether lovely, that for the architect Jesus is the chief cornerstone, for the banker Jesus is the treasure, for the builder Jesus is the foundation, for the doctor Jesus is the physician, for the educator Jesus is the teacher, for the gardener Jesus is the true vine, for the geologist Jesus is the rock of ages. For the jeweler, Jesus is the pearl of great price. For the lawyer, he is the counselor. For the servant, Jesus is a good master. For the politician, Jesus is the desire of all nations. For the student, Jesus is the ultimate truth. For the day laborer, Jesus is rest. For the sinner, Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And for those who shed tears of sorrow, Jesus is the presence that brings joy. My hope this Easter and my prayer is that you know Jesus Christ, that you hear the good news, that God has done everything that needs to be done in Christ to restore our relationship with Him. So why are you waiting? As you walk down this road of life, if you discover you have only tears of bitterness, it may be time to find tears of joy, a restored relationship with God that changes life now and changes our destiny in eternity. And God waits, Jesus waits, he seeks you out, he'll find you whatever road you're on, but he waits to be invited in when you say yes. God, I do pray for every person who hears this message. Sometimes we don't recognize you, Jesus, as as we're walking right beside you. Then our eyes are opened and maybe this is that moment for us. We recognize the resurrected Christ. And all of a sudden, our destination in life is not as important as our destiny in eternity. I pray that you help us find that in you. Bless every person who hears the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we say yes. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.